When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, all. This is Michael Cotton, and I am happy to be bringing my podcast, The Baseball Rabbit Hole, to the Bleacher Bunch Network. I will be releasing these episodes every other week. I hope you enjoy this as well as all the other great podcasts on the Bleacher Bunch Network. Let's head down the rabbit hole. Play ball. Round the internet we go, where we end up no one knows. Sit back and enjoy the show, down the baseball rabbit hole, down the baseball rabbit hole. Hi, welcome to the first inning of the first game of the baseball rabbit hole. I'm your host, Michael Cotton. This is the podcast where I ask a baseball question of the internet and fall down the rabbit holes that I find there. My first question was about the guy who invented baseball, so I thought I would check out Abner Doubleday. Some of you heard that, and it sounded fine. Others just spit their coffee out all over their dashboard because Abner Doubleday did not invent baseball. And now, all the people who thought Doubleday was the inventor of baseball have spit their coffee out all over their dashboards. And since we've all finished our coffee, let's get started. So I started by looking up Abner Doubleday as the inventor of baseball, and it led me to an argument between Henry Jadwick and Albert Spalding in 1903. Who are these guys? Well, let's head down the rabbit hole. Henry Chadwick was the first and most influential baseball writer in the history of the game. He was originally from Exeter, England, and was working for the New York Times as a sports reporter when he saw his first baseball game between the New York Gothams and the New York Eagles. He fell in love with the action and speed of the game, and immediately started writing about it for the paper. Chadwick was so well respected as a baseball writer, he sat on many rules committees in the early days of baseball and even created some of them. One rule attributed to Chadwick is that a player has to catch a ball on the fly to get an out. Before this, there was a one-bounce rule, which kind of makes sense when you remember they didn't have baseball gloves back when they started playing the sport. Some have called him the father of the game due to all the work he did to promote the game. He was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1938, and although he is technically in as an executive, he is the only Hall of Fame member that was a sports writer. Now let's get to know the other half of this disagreement, Albert Spalding. Albert Spalding played baseball professionally from 1871 to 1878 and was known for being one of the first players to wear a baseball glove which would have given him an advantage with that pop fly rule that Chadwick invented. Beyond being an advantage on the field, the reason Spalding wore a glove was probably because in 1874, he and his brother opened Spalding's Sporting Goods Store and they were selling things like baseball glove. So the answer to your question, is this Spalding the same Spalding as is on my baseball that I bought the other day? 
Yes, it is. In addition to being owner of a fledgling sporting goods empire, when Spalding retired from playing, he became the president and part owner of the Chicago White Stockings, who would later go on to be called the Chicago Cubs. Spalding was just as influential as Chadwick, and probably more so seeing that he was an owner of the Cubs and a sporting goods empire that included the Spalding Baseball Guide, which was one of the publications that employed Chadwick. In 1888, Spalding attended a dinner where A.G. Mills was speaking to a large group of influential people, including Mark Twain and Theodore Roosevelt. His speech was all about how baseball was invented by Americans for Americans and not from English origins, which was a major debate of the time. When it came to baseball, Mills wanted to make sure that people understood it was America first, and a number of times the crowd started chanting, Lock her up! Lock her! Oh, wait. I'm sorry. That's not what they were chanting. They were chanting, No rounders! No rounders! As Mills was speaking. Man, that's weird. I wonder how I made that mistake. Anyway, Spalding saw how incensed the crowd was and began using that energy as a marketing tool to promote baseball as an all-American game, which also helped his sporting goods stores. Lots of people had been arguing the origin of baseball for years, but it all came to a head when both Chadwick and Spalding wrote articles in the Spalding Baseball Guide. The Spalding Baseball Guide was dedicated to baseball, so Albert Spalding had hired the most influential baseball writer to be his editor. All of this was working out well until Chadwick wrote a story in 1903 about how baseball had evolved from rounders, a game that Chadwick had played as a child in England. His article traced the origins of the game back to rounders and showed how the rules had evolved into baseball. Spalding, being an America baseball first guy, and also the owner of the magazine, wrote a rebuttal to Chadwick's story, claiming that baseball was a completely American sport with no ties to any English games. He had no proof in this claim, but because he forced Chadwick to publish the article, it gave his opinion the same legitimacy as Chadwick's actual research article. This reignited the long-standing debate over the origin of baseball. Spalding decided that a commission should look into the origins of baseball and that whatever they found would be the final word on the subject. You would assume the task would be a researched scientific examination of facts and historical texts, but you would be wrong. Instead, Spalding decided the best way to figure this out was to crowdsource the answer. Yes, he basically created his version of a Twitter poll in 1905, which meant that Spalding reached out to the citizens of the U.S. through his magazine and the several newspapers that he got to publish the story to see if anyone knew the answer to who invented baseball. And like a Twitter poll, the results were dubious. But before we head down that rabbit hole, let's take a quick break. Hey everybody, you know what this podcast needs? more listeners like you. If you want to help me out, please share this podcast around to your friends and let them all know that they should subscribe as well. Another way to support the podcast would be to give me a five-star rating somewhere on the internet wherever podcasts are rated. 
Thanks, and now back down the rabbit hole. Welcome back. So Albert Spalding put together a commission of seven men led by A.G. Mills. You remember him as the same guy that was giving that speech back in 1888, where he was already arguing for American baseball first. The commission was formed in 1905 with the directive to examine any evidence that came in about the invention of baseball. And I'm sure Mills was able to put aside any agendas or bias he might have had on the subject in order to get to the truth. Well, this is when Abner enters the story. Here's the thing. It wasn't Abner Doubleday that shows up at this point. It was a guy named Abner Graves. And we are down another rabbit hole. Abner Graves was a miner from Denver, Colorado. He found out about the search for the one true origin of baseball and wrote a letter claiming he knew who invented baseball and when it was invented. Although Abner Graves was a surprise additional Abner in this story, this Abner does get us to the Abner that we were looking for. According to Abner Graves, his friend and schoolmate, Abner Doubleday, invented baseball in 1839 in Cooperstown, New York. He said he was there when Doubleday sketched out the positions and the first rules to the game. Ooh, the Mills Commission loved this story. Abner Doubleday was an American war hero, and he had invented the game in an idyllic little town in New York? It was the exact type of narrative they were looking for. They loved the story so much, they didn't even do any research to see if it was possible. If they had taken a moment to check some facts they would have realized that Abner Graves might not have the most concrete of stories. The first problem was that Abner Graves claimed that Doubleday was his childhood friend and they went to school together in 1839. Well, in 1839, Abner Graves would have been five years old and Abner Doubleday was at West Point. Unless Graves was the most gifted five-year-old ever, I don't think he was at school with Doubleday. Also, West Point is about 150 miles from Cooperstown. In 1839, the travel time between West Point and Cooperstown would have been days or even weeks. So it's not even plausible that maybe Doubleday had taken a quick trip over there, invented the game for some five-year-olds, and then cruised back to West Point. Those two things might have made the commission question the veracity of Abner Graves' story. But hey, it was 1907, and they didn't have the internet, and Doubleday was already dead. So maybe it was just too hard to fact check some of this stuff. If only they could have asked Abner Doubleday. Or maybe just someone who knew Doubleday, if this could have been true. That might have changed everything. Oh wait, A.G. Mills was Abner Doubleday's friend. It's funny that Doubleday had never told Mills, a baseball enthusiast who gave speeches on the subject, that he had invented the game that his friend was so interested in. In fact, Doubleday had never mentioned it at all. Hmm, seems odd, right? Well, none of that really mattered to A.G. Mills. He just wanted his story. So on December 30th, 1907, Mills wrote his statement declaring Abner Doubleday as the father of baseball and Cooperstown as its birthplace based on the letter from Abner Graves. The Graves story about Abner Doubleday would be the undisputed word on the situation until a man named Stephen C. Clark 
decided to build a tourist attraction to help save Cooperstown, New York from the struggles of the Depression in the 1930s. Based on the Abner Doubleday myth, Clark decided to build a baseball museum in Cooperstown to celebrate the birthplace of baseball and its inventor. The Baseball Hall of Fame was established in 1936, with the building itself opening its doors in 1939. It's kind of ironic that this monument to baseball and to its supposed inventor, Abner Doubleday, would ultimately bring to light the fallacy of this story. With the Baseball Hall of Fame opened in Cooperstown, the story of Abner Doubleday was brought to public attention again. It was now being seen by thousands of people every year. With all of that attention, the story of Abner Doubleday creating the game came under scrutiny in the 1940s. Historians soon determined that Doubleday had not, in fact, invented baseball in Cooperstown. There were arguments made for several people to have been the inventor of baseball, but everyone agreed that Abner Doubleday was just not the guy. It is generally understood that baseball evolved from rounders, as Chadwick had had written, and that there were many people who helped make it the sport that evolved from rounders to baseball that we all love today. Despite these findings, the Doubleday Cooperstown myth is still believed by many people well into the 21st century. What we know is that a rich white guy claimed that factual reporting was fake news, so he created alternative facts to promote an America First misinformation campaign that many people still believe, despite it having been completely disproven. Man, things were weird back then, huh? So after I climbed out of that rabbit hole, I was still wondering who Abner Doubleday really was. More about that after the break. Hey, this is a part of the show where I would normally tell you, go to my Patreon and support the show. So... If you really want to support the show monetarily, hit me up on PayPal or Venmo at mcotton2019. That's the same for both of them. And you can give me money there if you'd like. Otherwise, if you really want to do something Patreon style, go to Patreon for Sonranto, S-O-N-R-A-N-T-O. And that's where I do my other podcast. You can give money there and that would also support what I do. Thank you. If Abner Doubleday wasn't the inventor of baseball, who was he? It turns out he is still somewhat famous, even if he didn't invent baseball. After West Point, he served his whole career in the military. He fought in the Mexican-American War as the commander of a supply depot deep in Mexican territory. And later, he fought in the Third Seminole War in Florida, which was part of the Indian Removal Act and the Trail of Tears. But fighting to preserve American territory from the people who had already been living there was not why he was notable. He's notable because of his role in the Civil War. Captain Doubleday was stationed in South Carolina when South Carolina became the first state to commit treason and secede from the United States. He was actually in Fort Sumter when the Southern militias laid siege to the fort and eventually attacked on April 12, 1861. Captain Doubleday was in command when the South instigated the war with the first attack on American forces. 
and he ordered the first shots fired by Union forces in defense of the United States. So the guy who is famous for being in a place that he wasn't isn't actually widely known for being in the place that he actually was, which was the beginning of the Civil War. Doubleday survived the attack on Fort Sumter and took part in the Second Battle of Bull Run, the Battle of Antietam, and in the Battle of Fredericksburg. His last major battle was in Gettysburg. At Gettysburg, he didn't just fight. Doubleday took over command of I-Corps after the Major General Reynolds was killed. He led the unit against a much larger force until they were finally defeated by the Southern rebels many, many hours later. He was relieved of I-Corps command after the defeat and had to take blame for losing the battle. That was later rescinded, but he was relieved of I-Corps command after the defeat. He remained in Gettysburg as a division commander until finally being forced from battle with shrapnel in his neck a few days later. After he recovered from the wounds, he was stationed in Washington, D.C. for the remainder of the war and eventually promoted to full colonel. When the war was over, Colonel Doubleday was stationed in New York, where he continued to work on behalf of black citizens in the Bureau of Freedmen, Refugees, and Abandoned Lands, helping them transition from their life of slavery to being free. He finished his career in the Army as the commander of an all-black unit in Texas. Doubleday eventually retired to New York and took up a position as the president of the Theosophical Society studying spiritualism and Eastern philosophy. You didn't see that coming, did you? Yeah, me either. Colonel Doubleday died in 1898, and at the time of his death, there was nothing that ever linked him to the game of baseball. As far as anybody knows, he didn't even play the game, as he wasn't really a big fan of athletics at all. Time Magazine once wrote, The world will little note nor long remember what Doubleday did at Gettysburg, but it can never forget what he did at Cooperstown. Sadly, that has been the case, even though the Cooperstown part was never true. And that's where I'm going to end this rabbit hole. So until next time, keep browning those bases. You're out! This episode of the Baseball Rabbit Hole was written by Michael Cotton, produced by Michael Cotton, edited by Michael Cotton, recorded by Michael Cotton, all on Audacity. The only thing I don't do is the theme song. That is by the incomparable Danny Rocket. Take it away, Danny. Round the internet we go Where we end up no one knows Sit back and enjoy the show Down the baseball rabbit hole Down the baseball rabbit hole The Baseball Rabbit Hole is a Bleacher Bunch Network production distributed by the Fans First Sports Network.